We are on Yevamos, the bottom of Kuf Yid Gimel Amabez, uh, 113b. And we have a little bit left with regards to our whole discussion about uh, a person divorcing his wife and the fact that you don't need her uh, consent or her knowledge and awareness, um, which is also why a person could divorce his wife is if, if his wife is a deaf mute. That was already from the Mishnah, even though halakhically, uh, definitely in times of the Gemara, a deaf mute doesn't have sufficient awareness and knowledge, uh, but it still works because it's not necessary when it comes to a divorce. It's really stemming from the husband. The husband has to have the proper intent, but not the wife. So on that note, Rava has the following statement. Then we have a few more lines on this topic, and then we will begin the last topic of this chapter, uh, a very interesting topic. But Amar Rava, Rava says, May you do so, ben Based on this testimony that we found in the Mishnah about a person who divorced his wife who was a deaf mute, If a person tells the witnesses, you have witnesses who are observing the divorce, they're seeing that the husband is giving his wife a get, a divorce document, and they tell the Adim, they tell the witnesses that this is the get, this is the divorce document, and but then he tells her, that I'm giving you, he tells his wife that I'm giving you, this is not a, it's not a divorce document, this is a loan. This is a document, <coughs> excuse me, of a loan. Uh, so we say that that works. It's a good divorce because in the end of the day, it doesn't make a difference what she is thinking and what's happening because it works against her will. So as long as he told the witnesses, he told the witnesses that this is a good get, this is a good divorce document, so then it works. So I think Mark explains. Just like Rabbi Yochan ben Gugada proved that you don't need her knowledge and her awareness and the fact that you could divorce a deaf mute, so too, you could you could divorce when she thinks that this is just a loan document that she's being given, but even if she doesn't even realize that it's the get, so the Gemara says, Pshita, isn't this obvious? This is obvious. This is clear. If it works to divorce a deaf mute, so then you don't need her knowledge that she's been giving it. She's been given a divorce document. Says, no, I would have thought as follows, that it's possible to say that once he tells her this is a shtarchov, this is a loan document, what he's really saying is that I no longer have intent in viewing this as a divorce document. And I don't really want to give you a divorce document. I'm giving you something else. And this is not a divorce document. I really have intent for something else. And that's what one could have thought, that he's really going back on him viewing this as a divorce document. And the Gemara says, no, that's why we need Rava. Rava teaches you that this really is viewed as a divorce. It works. Halakhically, it works as a divorce. And the reason is because if he really wanted to cancel it, so then he would have told the witnesses. Let him go ahead and tell the witnesses. But him telling his wife uh, without telling the witnesses, so then no, the reason why he's telling this to his wife, why in the end of the day is he telling this to his wife is because it's embarrassing to get divorced. And so it's embarrassing to get divorced, so he, does, he doesn't want to say publicly, this is in front of two witnesses, maybe others, he doesn't want to phrase it as such, and so... To remove the embarrassment, he says this is something else. But the reason why he says this is something else is not because he's really backing out. He wants to keep this as a divorce document. He just doesn't want to 
uh, cause embarrassment. Okay, the commentators, they do point out one last point before we continue on in the Gemara. And they point out that we had in, in a previous recording that it's necessary for her to know that she's getting divorced on a biblical level for her to know that she can't go back home. This is no longer home. They're no longer living with each other. And that's part of the divorce. So here too, what about here? Where she's giving a, giving a loan document, um, how is she going to know not to come back home? <coughs> Excuse me. And so they explain that no, because you told the witnesses that this is a divorce document, so then in the end of the day, they will they will let her know that this is really a divorce document, and then she will be aware that uh, she really can't go home on her own. She'll, she'll come to that conclusion uh, after the witnesses reveal to her that this is really a divorce document. Okay, so that concludes that topic, and now we'll begin uh, an interesting topic. Our, our discussion now is really a discussion about uh, kids, children, um, and whether they uh, one has to stop uh, children from violating the Torah. Um, this is one of the main places where, where this topic is found, and there's a discussion. Is one obligated? Not, I'm not talking about just the parents. Let's ignore the parents for now. Maybe there's a there's a unique obligation on the parents to raise their children and to be mechanech to educate their children. Uh, and uh, even within that, there's a whole discussion: is that only with regards to the positive commandment, but is, or is it also to prevent them from uh, violating a negative commandment? That itself is a whole discussion with regards to the parents. But let's ignore the parents for now. What about everybody else? Could is, does everybody else have an obligation if they see a child who's doing something wrong? Do they have an obligation to tell them that they're doing the wrong thing, or could you let them go ahead and do whatever they want? Because in the end of the day, they're not obligated until they reach the age of thirteen. And so, just if we take a step back, we all have an obligation to care for each other, uh, certainly on a physical level, but even more so on a spiritual level. That we have an obligation to make sure that we're all following in the ways of the Torah. Now. If, if the person is not going to listen to us who we're talking to, so then you, you don't necessarily have to say anything. Uh, and you, maybe you shouldn't say anything, depending on the scenario. Uh, but if we know that they will listen, and there's a good chance that children, they're younger, they will listen, so then do you have an obligation to stop them? Do you not have an obligation to stop them? That will be the discussion uh, for today. Uh, we will see in, uh, in the Gemara a little, little bit later on, probably not for today, but a little bit later on, it will discuss what maybe there's a difference between what happens if they started it on their own, they're doing it on their own, versus you giving them that which is forbidden. For example, giving them non-kosher, or whatever the case is. Um, if you're actively involved, maybe that's different. Additionally, just uh, to, to give you the picture before we see the Gemara and find this in the Gemara, the Gemara will say, it seems pretty clear, that the assumption is that even if you want to take the position that there is an obligation to stop children, uh, it only applies to biblical commandments. It only applies to the, the the biblical commandments, but it does not apply to rabbinic commandments. And so, even if you want to take the position, again, it's a dispute, but even if you want to take the position that you do have to stop children, uh, so then maybe that's only for, uh, it's clear that the assumption is that it's only for biblical commandments and not for the uh, rabbinic commandments. Why would that be? So perhaps the idea is that when it comes to rabbinic commandments that uh, one has to observe them because they want to have to they have to show that they honor and uh, trust and uh, listen to the rabbis. Uh, but if a person's rebelling, if they don't listen, it's a, the the root of the prohibition 
of the of the commandment to listen to the rabbis is that you are rebelling against the Torah because the Torah says you have to listen to the rabbis. But children, they're, they're just doing something, and uh, and they're acting as children. So you don't. It's not viewed as a rebellion. So then you don't have to say anything. But when it comes to mitzvah deres, a positive, a, a Torah commandment, if it's if it's a Torah commandment, so then, um, so then maybe you do have an obligation to stop them uh, from violating the Torah. That's a, that's a Torah commandment. So that's the distinction between a Torah commandment and a rabbinic uh, law, a rabbinic uh, decree. Uh, one last point is that we mentioned that uh, maybe there's a greater stringency if you are feeding it to them or if you're actively giving it to them. So then that another subcategory of that might be uh, if they know, if the child knows that this is beneficial to you, to the adult, to the father, to the mother, uh, if, if it's beneficial to them and they're doing it to help out the parents, so that could be equivalent to uh, the, the parents actually giving it to them because the only reason why the children are doing this is really because this is what the parents want. And so uh, the parents didn't say so explicitly, but it's clear that this is what the parents want. So it says if the parents are also actively involved, and it could be that in such a scenario, we are more stringent, even if you want to say that we don't have to stop them if they're doing their own thing, but if we know that they're doing it for us, if they're doing it for us, so then uh, there's we'll see that uh, there's an argument to make that that would be uh, more stringent. We'd be more stringent in such a scenario. Okay, so let's uh, now with that introduction, let's begin the Gemara. The Gemara says, "Rav Yitzchak Barbisna irchusu lei miftechei debi midrasha b'rishus harabim b'shabasa." Rav Yitzchak Barbisna. He lost his keys to the base medrash, to the study halls where they would study Torah. He lost the keys, so the doors are locked, and he lost them in the public domain on Shabbos. There's a biblical prohibition you cannot carry in the public domain on Shabbos if there's no Erev, um, or just in the public, if it's, a, if it's a biblical public domain, you're not allowed to carry. Um, and he lost the keys, so what are you going to do? He can't, he can't look for it and find it and carry with it, so what is he going to do? So also the commander of Pedust, he went he approached Rapidus and he said, What should I do? So Amrlay, Rapidus told him, Great advice. Zeal de Bartalivitalya, Vilitli Hosam, Dimishakaluhu, Maisalu. Go get little boys and girls, have them play in the public domain, have them roam the streets in the public domain, and if they find it, then they'll give it to you. They'll be the ones who pick it up. So what do we see from here? Alma, Kasavar, Katanochanavels, Ambizum Tuvan Lavrisha. We see from here. That we're allowed to. We didn't tell the kids to pick up the, the keys. But if they happen to see it on their own, so then they could pick it up and they could give it to you. So we see that we're, we're not obligated to make them stop. They could go ahead and they could continue. Um, and uh, and, we're not, and we don't have to stop them. We could even benefit from it. As long as they don't know that we're benefiting from it, we could even benefit from it because now we could open up the base measures. You could open up the study holes. So the Gemara says, wait a minute. Maybe I can bring a proof to this idea. We'll see that this is this is not un, very unclear, but maybe we can bring in the following proof. And the Gemara will now have a whole bunch of different potential proofs and rejections. But a person cannot tell a child to bring the keys um, or to bring different objects to them because that's actively telling them to do it. But you're allowed to let them be. And if they want, they can rip things off from the ground, which is a biblical prohibition on Shabbos, or they could throw things in the public domain, which is another biblical prohibition. So they could do all these things on their own. So this seems to be pretty good proof. So Rabbi Abayi says, no. The cases that we're talking about here 
are where these prohibitions are only on a rabbinic level. This is the rejection. It's only on a rabbinic level. We're dealing with where you're plucking something which is only a rabbinic prohibition, or you're throwing it in an area which is only a rabbinic area as a, as a public domain, but not on a biblical level. It's called a Carmelis. And so essentially Abaye is saying that uh, when uh, when is this allowed? You can let them do whatever they want. That's only when it's a rabbinic prohibition. But if it's a biblical prohibition, we have no proof. There's no proof from this uh, b'risa that we just quoted that you're allowed to let the child go do whatever he or she wants. It's not true. Uh, and maybe on a biblical, if it's a biblical uh, commandment, so then maybe we do have to stop them. So there's no proof. Now let's get to the next case. Tashma. Ovid kochavim shabal lichbos. Ein omrim lo kavev al so now we are comparing a non-Jew to a child. This price that compares a non-Jew to a child. And the case is, let's say there's a fire in the house. If there's a fire in the house and there's a non-Jew present, so you cannot tell the non-Jew to you know, create a fire or to extinguish the fire. You cannot tell the non-Jew to extinguish the fire. Again, this is all assuming that there's no danger involved, that there's no real sakana. Uh, a life-threatening situation. It's not a life-threatening situation. If he wants to on his own to extinguish the fire, he's allowed to. Let him go ahead and extinguish the fire. However, this is in contrast to a child. When it comes to a child, so then um, we have to tell him, do not extinguish. We have to actively tell them, don't extinguish the fire because we are responsible for them. So this seems to imply the opposite. This seems to imply that we do have an obligation to stop them because we... Uh, we cannot actively go, we cannot tell them to go ahead and extinguish uh, the fire. Why not? Sorry, we, we, we actively tell them that they cannot extinguish the fire. And, and as such, we, we have an obligation. They cannot even do it on their own. And so we see that we have an obligation to prevent them from extinguishing the fire, which is a problem on Shabbos. So Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan has the following resolution. He says, no, you can't bring a proof from there. The cases, as we explained in the introduction, the cases where he's doing it, uh, knowing that his father wants him to extinguish this fire. This fire could lead to a significant amount of loss, even if it's not life-threatening. Um, and as such, he knows this is what his father wants. If it's something that his father wants, then that's already a separate category. That could be like the father's actively being involved to, to help him violate the Torah. And as such, that's the case here. But uh, maybe you don't you don't have a proof from this price. Uh, maybe really we do not have to stop a child from, if the child is just doing something on their own, and they're only uh, they're doing something for themselves by themselves. You do not have an obligation to stop. There's no proof from this price. Thigmar asks, "Wait a minute. If it's a case where he's doing it knowing that his father wants him to do it, so then that should be also the parallel scenario with the non-Jew, and it would have to be a case where the non-Jew also uh, wants it. It knows that the Jew wants it. So Mishar over Kochavim, Mishari." Why should that be allowed if the non-Jew knows that the Jew wants it? So then that's a problem. Uh, a non-Jew is not allowed to do whatever they want on Shabbos. If they're doing something for the Jew, that is a that is a big problem. That, that That's a problem. The non-Jew cannot do it for the Jew. Uh, and if the case is for the child where he knows that his father wants it, so then the case should be parallel where the non-Jew knows that the Jew wants his fire to be extinguished, but it should be a problem. So the more answer is no. There's a principle that the non-Jew, why is he extinguishing the fire? He's not really extinguishing the fire so that the Jew benefits. That's not his primary motivation. 
His primary motivation is because if he extinguishes the fire, he knows that after Shabbos, the Jew will repay him for what he just did. And really, it is for personal reasons. It is for selfish reasons. It is so that he gets rewarded afterwards. And so therefore, he's not really doing it for the Jew. The child is doing it for his, for his father. Uh, but the non-Jew is not doing it for the Jew. He's doing it for himself so that he benefits in the long run. Um, and so that could explain how if the non-Jew is doing it, so then you can let him go ahead and extinguish the fire. Let's see a few more cases. Tashma. So if you have a grandchild who goes to visit and his grandfather who is not religious so or uh, just uh, in Amaretz, he's ignorant so we're not concerned that maybe what he's eating right now are things which they didn't take off truma for. First, before you could eat any produce, you have to take off all the different gifts that have to be given to the Kohen, to the Levi, to the poor. And so if you don't do that yet, so then you're not allowed to eat it. We're not concerned. We're not concerned. Let him go ahead and eat. If you find that he has fruit, we don't make, we don't remove it from him. So we see from here that we don't have to stop the child. So Rabbi Yochanan says, no. The case here again is the always, always the way to get out of it is to say that, no, the reason why you don't have to stop them is because this is really just on a rabbinic level. It's uh, we're dealing here with produce, which is demai. Demai means we're not sure if it was already previously taken off all the, all the gifts. So it's only required on a rabbinic level to to remove it again, to remove the different gifts that are given to the kohen, to the levi, to the poor. And so it's really just on a rabbinic level. Ella taima demai havadei by leisurevam rabbi yochanan bos adas aviv el rabbi yochanan tzvukim misafkalei kai hachamadchi kai hachamadchi. The gemara then has a side question and says, wait a minute. We are now within Rabbi Yochanan. What did Rabbi Yochanan answer? He just said that the case is where it's only on a rabbinic level. Meaning, what is Rabbi Yochanan's position? If it's on a biblical level, if it's something that we know with certainty, so then you would have to, in fact, stop the... Uh, you would have to stop the child. But yet he said earlier that you only have to stop the child if the child knows that it's what the father wants. Uh, but if the, he doesn't know if the child is just playing on his own... And he violates Shabbos just on his own without thinking about the father, so then that would seemingly be allowed. You don't have to stop them. So this seems to be a contradiction within Rabbi Yochanan. It's a side point, just saying, mentioning that there's a contradiction within Rabbi Yochanan. And the Gemara answer is no. Um, Rabbi Yochanan himself wasn't sure. He didn't know what the halacha was. He didn't know what the law was with regards to whether or not you have to stop. And so he was just pushing proofs aside. He just said, was pointing out that you don't have a full proof from this brisa. You don't have a full proof from that brisa. It's unclear. Because he himself wasn't sure. He wasn't sure, and so therefore he was just pushing off and said, you can't bring a proof from there, you can't bring a proof from there, uh, but we really don't know. Rabbi Yochanan was saying that we don't know what the uh, what the law is. One last case. Tashma ben chavar koin shirogi lelech etzel aviyimo koin amaretz in choshin shem yochlenet truma tmeya matzabiyado peros ain dakiglo so the more answers but truma derabana. The case here is also uh, a grandson is visiting, he's with his grand- grandfather, the case here is where they are kohanim. The kohanim are allowed to eat truma. Uh, however, they cannot eat truma when it is impure, when it is tame. They're not allowed to eat truma. We're not concerned for this. So we see that we're not concerned. So the Gemara again, it says, no, maybe we're only dealing with here with truma, which is only truma on a rabbinic level. And as we pointed out, when it's on a rabbinic level, everybody agrees you do not have to stop the child. Okay, we will discuss the next couple of proofs back and forths uh, and some interesting ideas in the next recording.